Welcome to the podcast of Apostles by the Sea Anglican Church in Rosemary Beach, Florida. You can find out more about us on our website at ApostlesByTheSea.com. Thanks for listening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, church. We've been praying for those in the path of Hurricane Dorian this week. I know you have been too. So glad that the path right now seems to be taking it away from major population centers, but it's still bearing down on the Bahamas. There's still people there. The latest models actually show it maybe be inching closer to Florida again, even though it kind of wobbled out and now it seems like it's coming back. We know all too well in this area what a hurricane like that can do. So I just wanted to ask you to pray with me right now for these people. So let's pray. God, we thank you first for turning Dorian away from major population centers, but we're mindful of those that are still uh, in its path and will still feel its effects. God, we pray especially for those in the Bahamas. Be with them, God. Protect them from harm. We cry out to you for your protection. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well today, we have an interesting thing going on in our gospel reading. Sometimes when we read the Bible, it turns out the Bible is actually reading us. Have you ever noticed that? It's like those old Russian reversal jokes. Have you heard those Russian reversal jokes? Okay, I'm going to tell you one. They go like this. In America, you can always find a party. But in Soviet Russia, the party can always find you. That's a Russian reversal joke. (laughs) Well, today this passage is kind of like that joke. At home, you read the Bible. But at Apostles by the Sea, the Bible reads you. Because this passage, it gets at something deep. Maybe it seems like Jesus is just giving some advice about how to be humble and take the lower place, and then maybe uh, you'll actually be exalted by your friends. But what he's really doing is he's exposing our hearts. That's what he's really doing. So let's look at this. It starts off with a really awkward dinner gathering. Look at this with me. This is on page seven of your bulletin. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Okay, so so let's stop right there and let's just say this. Don't we all love it when people watch us eat? I do. Well, that's what they were doing. They were watching him closely at this dinner meal. When I was growing up with my two little sisters, we'd be eating uh, breakfast cereal in the morning, and all of a sudden, two of us would get quiet, and we'd just stare at the other one as they were <laughs> shoveling cereal into their mouth. Stop it! Because, you know, that just, it's just so annoying, but older brothers and sisters love to be annoying like that. Anyway, that's what they were doing. Come over and eat with us. Then they all gathered there, and were watching Jesus closely. Not really how he ate, but they were watching him, wondering what he might do. There's something you have to love about these guys. They're always trying to test Jesus to catch him doing something that he shouldn't be doing. 
And, and this meal, this invitation to dine with the leader of the Pharisees and all of his friends, which is another one of those occasions to watch Jesus, to see if they could catch him doing something they could use against him. That's, that's why what happens next seems a little fishy. Look at verse 2. Just then in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy. Okay, so you have to know that to have dropsy meant that you were considered ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. This man wouldn't have been allowed to go to the temple. He wouldn't have been allowed or welcome in holy places. He's not someone that the leader of the Pharisees would normally invite over to dinner. Because in their world, this man was unclean. And to invite him to dinner would have potentially made everyone else at that dinner party unclean as well. And so why was this man there all of a sudden? I think the clue is in verse 1. They were watching him very closely. This, it seems to me, was a setup. That's the only reason this man with dropsy was invited to this party. The only reason he was there was so that the Pharisees and his guests could see what Jesus would do in that moment. And can I just say, what a rotten thing to do. To invite this man so that he can be a prop for something that you've got going on. Not because you want him there, but to exploit his illness, his condition, so you can watch what Jesus might do and put Jesus to the test. This man was just a prop. You know what you find when, the, when you read the Bible? You find that God never likes it when people are treated as less than people. Like when they haul that woman who'd been caught in adultery out in front of everybody, out in the middle of the crowd just so they could test Jesus. And Jesus says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And when everyone slinks away, he ends up standing with that woman and sees her for the person that she is, not as a prop that we can use to test Jesus. He then sends her forgiven into a new life where she won't have to sin anymore. Jesus, turns out, wasn't upset with her, the one who had been caught in sin. He was upset with those who were treating her as less than human, only so they could make a point with Jesus and test him. He never likes that. And he doesn't like this, with this man with dropsy, who was only there so that these leaders, these people who were on the inside, could test Jesus. And so he turns the test around with one sentence, and suddenly it's not about Jesus, it's about them, and it's about our hearts. Look at verse 3. And Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. So Jesus took the man and healed him, and then sent him away, and said to them, if one of you as a child or even an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on a Sabbath day? Then they could not reply to this. Even though, of course, they would have pulled their child out of a well and even an ox. I mentioned this last week, and some of you wrote it down. It's one of my favorite theologians is an Australian named Rick Watts. I love his voice, I love his mind, I love the way he thinks. And one of the things that he says that I love is that life with God isn't about law-keeping. Life with God is about people-keeping. I love that. But here, these Pharisees and lawyers, instead of 
caring about this man with dropsy. They're just using him to try to trap Jesus. They're not people keeping at all. And Jesus will have none of it. And he says, you wouldn't think twice about rescuing your, your child who had fallen into a well on a Sabbath day. You wouldn't even think twice about rescuing one of your animals. And here's one of God's children. As precious to God as one of your children is to you. And you treat him like this. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with your hearts? And then Jesus tells them, how they ought to live, how they ought to take the lower place and even invite people like that man with dropsy, actually invite them to be your guest at dinner, not just your prop at dinner. Okay, so last week I mentioned that Meg, my daughter, has gone to South Walton High School. She just started this year. And all of this just makes me think of high school all over again, really. Those first weeks in high school can be so hard so hard to go to a new school, to be a new person. Will anybody pay attention to me? Will anybody see me? Will anybody be a friend to me? Meg's three weeks into school now. She's over at South Walton. Go Seahawks! Caw! Caw! Is that their, what's their, what's the, okay, it doesn't matter. I don't know. That's a crow. That's not a Seahawk. Well, what does a Seahawk sound like? What's it, anybody know what a Seahawk is? It's a screech? Okay, I won't try that. <laughs> but Meg's three weeks into school. The friend groups are forming. Some of them are cool. Some are not. Some are in. Some are feeling like they're out. Some are nerds. <laughs> I love it. Somebody laughed at nerds. All right. <laughs> Some have special needs. And you know how it works, don't you? Do y'all remember being in high school? Younger kids, are you anticipating going to high school? If you're cool, if you're cool in high school, you've got to do everything you can to maintain that coolness, don't you? If you're in, the last thing you want to do is anything that will cause you to suddenly be out. And if you're not cool, then you want to be. You try really hard to fit in. You want to be invited. You want to be accepted. And as I read through this next part of the passage, I thought Jesus could be talking to high school students just as, he, just as easily as he's talking to these Pharisees. And truth be told, he could be talking to each one of us. Because like I said a minute ago, this is one of those passages of Scripture that the more you read it, the more you realize it's reading you. So what does Jesus say? Let's look at verse 7. When Jesus, when Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. So what were they all doing? They were all trying to be the cool kids, to be included, to fit in, to be part of the in crowd. And back then, the closer you got to the host of the party... That, this time it was the leader of the Pharisees. The closer you got to him, the more in you were. And Jesus noticed that that's what they were all doing, trying to safeguard their place in the cool crowd. That's another reason you can know that having that man with dropsy there was a setup because these were the cool kids, the in crowd, and they'd never invite someone that uncool to be at their party unless it was to use 
that uncool person for some self-serving purpose. That kind of sounds like high school too. And if you read Jesus' advice to them, don't take the higher seat, the place of honor, but instead take the lower seat, and then you might be invited to come higher. It almost seems like he might be saying, if you want to make it in the world, then you should feign humility, and then you will be exalted. Take the lower place so, so that you can then be given the place that, that of honor, the place that you really want. You really want to be the, in the high place. Well, if you take the low place, then maybe you can kind of work your way uh, kind of backwards into it. But that's not what Jesus is saying at all. This is about our hearts. And in verse 11, he tells us what this is about. He says, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He's not telling us how to act humble. So we'll be given what we want, which is the honor and esteem and the, and the, and the, uh, of our friends being on the inside. He's actually telling us, he's actually telling us to be humble. Be humble. Stop looking for ways to exalt yourself in the first place. Stop living your life at the expense of other people. Stop living your life like it's all about you. Like Paul tells us in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. He's telling us to actually be that way. They used that man with dropsy to exalt themselves. They chose the places of honor to exalt themselves. And Jesus says, stop living your life that way. Exalting yourself at the expense of others. And then he tells the leader of the Pharisees who invited him something crazy. He says, when you have a luncheon like this, don't invite your friends and your brothers and your relatives or rich neighbors in case they might invite you back. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. But you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Here's the thing. It's an unthinkable thing that Jesus is asking them to do. Think about it in high school terms. Invite the dorky kids to the party? Really? Invite the awkward ones to sit, at, sit with you at lunch? Make friends with the new kids and include them? Think of how costly that might be. Think of what the friends that you already have might think of you if they see you sitting with that person over there. That kind of behavior can cost you dearly in middle school and high school. That's a quick way to lose your standing and your coolness. Kind of like that unclean man with dropsy. Being with him could make those Pharisees unclean. Hanging out with the uncool kids can make you uncool. Their uncoolness can kind of rub off on you and make you uncool too. And think about it in adult terms. I mean, who you invite to dinner, who you choose to associate with, in the same way, can enhance your standing in the community, or it can hurt it. Jesus tell, is telling us to do the thing that will cost us the most. And this is why this passage is reading us just as much as we're reading it. It's because when we start to think about the way we live our lives, Sometimes it's easy to look at the Pharisees and think how contemptible their behavior is. And it's usually true. You're usually right to think that. 
But then a passage like this shows up. And it shows us that deep in here, deep in our hearts, the same thing that motivated them 2,000 years ago, that longing to fit in and be part of the in crowd, those same motivations are still lodged in here, in our hearts, and are still driving our actions too. So for adults, maybe it's important to live in the right neighborhoods, to drive the right cars, to be invited to the right parties, belong to the right groups, support the right causes. And so what do we do? What do we do? How do we change? How do we change if we want to change? Maybe, maybe it's by letting it sink into our hearts that hearts all that Jesus has done for us. By recognizing, like when we sang the song, Alleluia, sing to Jesus, his the scepter, his the throne. That means he's the king. Maybe it's by recognizing that Jesus, the king of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord of heaven itself, humbled himself, actually humbled himself to rescue us. He came among us. By the way, as far as the heavenly hosts are concerned, we are the totally uncool people. He came among us, the totally uncool, to live with us, to live as one of us, to not only make us his friends, but make us his family so that we could belong. And like the rest of that passage from Philippians says, I mean, let me just read it to you. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but, to each, of, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus said that those who humble themselves will be exalted and no one ever humbled himself more than Jesus no one is, has been, ever been more highly exalted than him either. That's what will change us. Seeing that, letting that sink into our hearts, how he came to include us, to reach out to us, to draw us in, to heal all the broken hearts. That's what changes us. And then we'll realize that all the posturing, all the trying to get the best seats at the table or fit in with the in crowd is just dumb. That's not what life 
is about at all. And we'll start to live more like Jesus, including the outcasts, sitting with the kids who were sitting alone, welcoming the stranger, inviting the ones who were never invited, and including them. I mean, after all, that's what God in Jesus has done for each one of us. In some churches, they read the Bible. At Apostles by the Sea, the Bible reads you. Maybe it's been reading you a little bit this morning. Here's my prayer. May we be so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus that we love like he does, that we live like he lives, that we see the world the way he sees it. Let's be like him in the world. That's what we're called to be as Christians, as people who are following him. What would high school be like if all the cool kids went out of their way to make everyone feel included and like they belong? Can you imagine how much better high school would be? And for that matter, how much better would this world be if we all did the same? Jesus, would you start with us? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.